Welcome to the Human Odyssey, the podcast about human-centered design. The way humans learn, behave, and perform is a science, and having a better understanding of this can help improve your business, your work, and your life. This program is presented by Sophic Synergistics, the experts in human-centered design. So let's get started on today's Human Odyssey. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest episode of the Human Odyssey podcast. I'm Raquel Garcia, one of the Human Factor Specialists here at Sophic Synergistics, and I'm here today with our amazing CEO, Ms. Cynthia Rando. Hello, everybody. The latest addition to our Sophic team, Mr. John Brechneider. Hi, everyone. And uh, one of our amazing, fabulous interns, uh, Sarvesh. Hey, all. Alrighty, and so today's topic, we were going to discuss um, self-driving cars and kind of their the new role that the human plays in and how human factors could improve um, and also prevent some recent accidents that we've seen in the news. Um, so I just wanted to start off by, you know, having everyone's opinions on self-driving cars. Um, so I think we see a lot about it in the news and just in social media and whatnot. And so... You know, have any of y'all had experiences with them, um, either like test driving it, owning it? And, you know, what kind of are y'all's thoughts on them at this point in their development stage, you could say? So self-driving cars are one of those things I think we've um, dreamed after as as human beings, you know, ever since, you know, we've seen, you know, the Jetsons, for example, you know, we've had this idea that eventually we'd we'd be driving self-driving cars or even flying cars one day, right? Um, you know, but what what are great ideas in in theory are are not always uh, translated to practice really well because the human doesn't necessarily make the same type of leaps in terms of capability and understanding as technology can, and there's often gaps in terms of the rate of progression, and so. You know, I've never personally driven a self-driving car, but, you know, what we're starting to see now in parallel is incremental um, additions to, you know, normal street driving vehicles that require you to still drive that are starting to incorporate this type of automation that takes over certain certain facets of driving, including, you know, some aspects of situational awareness and, you know, keeping vigilance while you're driving on the road. And that hasn't been perfectly implemented, um, so to speak. So I, I think there's a lot that we can talk around, uh, but I think it's it's still a, a, a big area that needs a lot of attention to to support the human progression, you know, with these these you know, it, how do I put this, with, with this progress, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, diving to one of our first kind of examples, with the, like the human taking this new role, you know, they're not, you're used to driving like a normal car, you're in control, you're looking out like what's going on, who's coming. Um, and so you're now being put more in like a passenger kind of role where it's like what, exactly do you pay attention to and if an alarm comes on how should you or how you should you not react um and so we've seen like uh, when we've heard in the news people like kind of 
tricking the system in the sense of like putting weighted bags for them, simulating that they have their hands on the wheels, but they're doing other activities such as reading or being on their phone. Um, because the thought of having a self-driving car is that it drives itself, right? So, um, you know, w- what are some kind of the associated dangers maybe that people don't think about um, in that moment or when they're doing kind of thinking about doing those actions? Well, I, I think we have to ask the question of why people are doing these these actions or taking these, um, you know, um, workarounds, for example. You know, we we as human beings like to be as efficient as possible. We like to go the 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 pathway of least challenge. And so part of it, you have to ask yourself, what have we been led to believe about self-driving cars that would make us think we could do this without consequence? And also, you know, do we understand consequence? Do we perceive that there there's still a risk to self-driving cars, you know, especially at, at this, you know, stage of the game where, you know, there is still high risk of injury because the tech, the technology is unproven and our role in interaction hasn't really been solidified because we're still testing out all the different ways of how this could work. So I don't, I don't think the question is as simple as that because, you know, humans are complicated. We do things for a lot of reasons and we're, we're impacted and influenced by things going on, things that we're told and, you know, what, what the design also tells us right or wrong. I don't know, John, what do you think? So it's, it's interesting. So I haven't, I haven't driven a car that has that capability, uh, but I've got three electric vehicles. I've got a reservation on whoever shows up first can, can take my money, but uh, I'm interested in kind of testing out the technology and seeing, you know, how, how it works. Um, and so there's multiple companies out there. They've each got a slightly different system. Um, I think one of the, the biggest safety issues is, the reliance on those systems and once once you get used to it and so i think the majority of them like you need to be able to take control in an instant right and up front you're going to be very well aware of that uh, but what we're finding is is people get kind of used to it and they think that the the machine the computer is is really good at its job all the time and so over a long period of time you're not going to be as um quick to take control if you might need to be in an emergency and i know that's happened a couple times with with some of these accidents Right. And and so it's it's a dance, right? How much trust can we build? How much trust should we build? And is the technology capable of supporting that trust? From my perspective, uh, I've driven self-driving cars before uh, as well. Uh, we started, as we are going forward, we are at the level two automation age right now, where we still need some kind of input from the human's end while we drive those particular cars. But I think so it's it's more so towards as we get used to these particular vehicles, um, complacency factor comes in. People get complacent while working with uh, self-driving cars. Um, but as we go towards further levels of automation, I feel with level four automation, or level five automation, where we don't need any kind of input from the human's end, uh, it will get even more riskier. People might get even more complacent while working with these particular vehicles. And that is when uh, the chances of accidents could, could go higher as well, because the factor of unpredictability is always there. And with AI systems, they are trained with the past data. So most AI systems sometimes are not able to react that quickly to novel situations and when these kind of situation comes in humans would need to react and with 
with more autonomy included in the uh, in these particular self driving cars i think so it could be an issue over there where human the complacency of humans could be a big factor playing in those particular accidents yeah so you bring up a good point about complacency and so you know instead of you know just throwing darts at the whole situation i'm sure there's folks on there i'm like okay well you're so smart with the problems what about the solutions right so you know what what could you know human systems integration human factors expertise bring to the table to start helping you know address these issues you know what what do the manufacturers need to take into account to help start building the the correct paradigm and and implementation of use of the technology and at what rate you know, because I, I don't believe that everything should be, you know, you don't go from the driving paradigm we understand now where I drive my car and then complete control and I understand I have to be vigilant or I'm going to get in an accident to all of a sudden I've got a car who can do everything for me. You don't make that jump. And so, you know, we have to start spelling out the steps that that manufacturers can take to address this. And, and one is Start understanding how your users think and think about driving. Start with what what goes on today. You know what? How do you build the framework or concept of understanding in terms of how drivers approach or think about driving today? Then start incrementally asking them what would happen if you no longer had to pay attention with driving, and then you're going to start uncovering how people would think about it, what they perceive to be risk or, or uh, benefit, um, things of that nature. But if you don't do that, that exercise of contextual inquiry, the focus groups just to understand of where people are at today before you change anything, you don't understand what risks change will introduce. You can't. It's impossible to characterize a risk. And I think that's part of the reason we're seeing all of these accidents. You can't go from zero to 60 and expect the human to just naturally come along because the technology can. It's it's a mismatch. Yeah, and I think like how John was saying, like knowing um, when it's the time to react, like how, how are they going to react, like what sensors or stuff like needs to be interacted with. That's a big thing as well, like with testing or with contextual inquiries and like focus groups and more human factors will play a role is when something does go wrong, what is the user's role now? How much do they, what are they going to interact with the system itself? Or do they have to take complete control? Would they prefer that even? Um, so yeah, I think that's that's a good point. Well, and it's also, you know, this is also a cognitive workload, you know, type question. You know, automation for automation's sake doesn't always make sense. And it's not always the safest option. And so you have to understand where the human is better than the technology because of the way our brain can work that technology can't. We're very dynamic. We're in, we are not linear. And so unfortunately, the way technology is programmed and operates, it's very linear. X has to equal Y for it to do Z. And so if that those circumstances don't occur or it misinterprets you know, something and it equates it to those circumstances, you can end up in a deadly situation each way. And so that's where the human actually has the advantage is, is, you know, case in point, I have, I have self-braking in my car and like almost every time I drive, I almost have a, you know, an accident risk because the self-braking will interpret someone turning off as a lane is still in my path and they're not in my path, but it can't, it can't distinguish between that. And so I get a slam on a brake, I'm going 65 on a highway 
I kill me and like six other people. And so again, this is where technology may not be smarter or best, you know, um, deployed over like human natural cognition capabilities. Now that's not to say, you know, self-breaking isn't valuable. It is because, you know, sometimes things happen and you don't see it. It happens so fast, like a child running out with a ball. You, it just may be that quick. And that's where, you know, the braking system is invaluable or when you're, you're backing out of like a blind parking space because it can see past the other vehicles where you have a blind spot. Invaluable, no question. But again, it's a time and a place. It's, it's not a universal application and that's where we have to be careful. And this is always the case, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And just to add on to that a little bit, Cynthia, um, so if they were taking into account human-centered design from the very beginning, you know, they would apply what types of tasks do computers do well, right? And then stick to those types of things. And what type of tasks do the humans do well, right? And then try to figure out the best way to, to mix them together. Instead, it seems like you've got a situation where the, the automation piece is, is driving everything. And they're not taking into account the, the human factor from the beginning. Absolutely correct. You, you always have to walk the dog, you know, in terms of task analysis, understanding, you know, what is required, where, where does automation make better sense for exactly what you said? It just does, you know, technology can do it, do it faster, better, smarter, and, and focus it on just those things. You don't want to destroy what the human brings to the table in the name of making everything autonomous because you create other situations or unknowns. Yeah, talking about that, Cynthia, uh, so one of the most important things in, in the research in the field of human autonomy teaming and human AI teaming is trust in the AI systems and whether the AI, the behavior of the AI matches the mental model of the humans or not is something that affects uh, the trust in the AI as well. And even though more and more automation comes in, if the human is not comfortable using that particular automation, that could be a major issue. And that is also restricting uh, the integration of automation in human AI teams. And that is, and we talked about like situations where AI cannot take decisions correctly because, because it thinks very linearly. Um, and the, those kind of situations, if a human makes a mistake, it is labeled as human error. But if if a technology is trained in such a way where it has to make a decision, for example, uh, if you're driving on a freeway and there is a sudden stop on the front and we have to like either go left and right and there is a person on the right who is wearing a helmet as well as person on the other side is not wearing a helmet and the AI has to take a decision which person to crash into to save our lives then it becomes a question mark over there, like which is the ethically correct decision for the AI to take? And in such situations, again, uh, the whole concept of whether to have autonomous vehicles or not is a big issue over there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with it more. And it's, you know, the mental model is key and it's, it's often just not considered, not understood as, you know, the, the critical piece of the Rubik's cube here, you know, to understanding the, the integration equation. And unfortunately, you know, you know, I don't want to slam innovators, but it, for them, it's all or nothing. Like I've got this new, new, new thing I've developed or patented and I'm just going to deploy it and then, you know, we'll, we'll worry about impacts later or I don't think I need to understand it because I know it solves this problem or I think it solves a problem. And we haven't really characterized the problem for people. Like, do we even know that driving is a problem for people? Okay, arguably you could say yes because of the number of accidents that occur. Okay, but not every accident 
is going to be solved by this type of automation. And so, you know, we got to get a little bit more specific to one, understand how the, the crashes occurred in the first place, and then ask ourselves, is, is, is that a situation where the technology could have solved the problem or not? Or could it have made the situation worse? And so these type of um, how do I put this analyses don't 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 ever happen. And and we're seeing that we're seeing a full you know deploy of self driving vehicles that are supposed to be you know completely autonomous in one sense, but it's not working. You know they're not you don't you don't see it being mass deployed. You see all of the the articles in the news about the the accidents that are happening um, and, you know, people are also, you know, one bad experience breaks your trust for a very long time. And so that has an impact long-term of people's willingness even to use an autonomous solution that might be well-fitted, you know, after we've learned our lessons here. So, you know, the, the equation is not easy and I don't, I don't mean to oversimplify, but Whenever you don't consider the end user first, you're never you're never going to design something that people want or need. Right, and I think about the end user as well, but also the environment. Um, you know, when we're test when these self driving cars are being built, it's in a controlled environment um, within like a, a field or just like a, a testing area. And the roads in America and even in other countries, they aren't perfect. They aren't like in a testing environment where it's controlled and you know that you have certain cones here and curves here. Um, so that definitely affects or also plays a role in how self-driving cars are going to act or behave um, in in the real world. Um, yeah, so you brought up a key concept, environment of use, right? You know, why why is it so important to understand your environment of use? Well, that's going to dictate the, how the technology operates, how the human beha- behaves, and how the human expects the, expects the interaction to go. Yeah, especially in, in other, when we think about other countries, you know, are these self-driving cars being built only like with America kind of roads in mind? Are we taking into account how others in, in other places um, drive or how the roads are built there and make and I guess from the designers and engineers fault, making sure that um, like when these self-driving cars built, like it's not a one size fits all, but we're making sure that it's kind of thinking into account like the AI and all that um, it's customized to how other countries like road systems and infrastructure is built as well. Right. And it's the classic, sorry, John, environment of use and target users. And, and again, they're not all the same. You're not, you're not ever going to dev- devise a universal solution that serves everybody or every situation. And the environment's a really good point. Like, was it ever considered from the beginning in which situations would self-driving cars do well and which ones they wouldn't? Instead, you know, they tried to solve everything at one time. And there's just so many variables, so many types of different driving conditions, and that's where you you run into issues. And so there probably are situations and environments where self-driving cars will do really well. And I think about the, uh, there's some campuses that have like self-driving vehicles that'll like deliver food uh, to college kids on dorms. And yeah, you're not driving on roads, but that's a good example of where you could probably implement that pretty safely and it's going to work pretty well. And I'm sure there's situations where self-driving cars would do would do quite excellent where roads are maintained and they've got the proper markers and you know things like that but that's you know that's not the way the, the this current 
problem was trying to be solved from the beginning. Yeah, personally, I would love to see self-driving cars come along a little bit faster because when I'm old, I, you know, <laughs> I want to still maintain my my independence. And so that that's my ultimate hope. You know, what I what I'm saying here isn't to say that I don't believe in the technology and its usefulness. I, I definitely do. I just think that we're not doing the right things as designers to make it successful and to really understand, um, you know, the problem vortex, as John points out, you know, it's people are complex, but that tells you something, right? We're complex and we're able to deal with a lot. And again, technology is limited in, in terms of the facet for which it is designed for. We're multifaceted. And so again, this is where humans are a very superior race, you know, if I dare say that, in terms of being able to handle a lot of different things at once. Um, do we make mistakes? Absolutely. But if you think about the, the number of com complex situations and the number of accidents that don't occur, it's, it's amazing how robust and adaptable we really are. And so like, you know, eventually we're going to get forced into a situation that if we really want this technology, you know, there's going to be some adaptation, you know, you can't avoid some of that, but you can protect for, you know, ease of integration by good human centered design. Yeah, I think, um, and I think we, it's definitely going to be possible. I mean, look at airplanes, you know, they have a level of automation to them and that's a monstrosity of like a machine and you know, carrying all those people at the same time, thousands of feet in the air. And so if automation, and if it was possible there, I'm pretty sure it will be um, in self-driving cars. I think it's what we've all been hinting at going back to like the problem space. What really is, what it really is the need? What problem are self-driving cars solving? And then kind of starting from there and identifying the users, identifying the environment. Um, but it's definitely something that's possible, just maybe like we've said, it wasn't really thought out when we were jumping in at first, like the idea of self-driving cars, it was all in or nothing. Let's put them out there. And, you know, sadly, we've seen the, the results haven't been um, super positive. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, aviation because that was my next thought as well. I think the automobile industry would have been wise to, to follow in the footsteps of what the aviation industry did. Right. And there's a lot more focus on safety when it comes to when it comes to flying. Um, and so they've automated tasks that make sense to automate and they've kept the human in the loop where it makes much more sense to do that. Right. And so autopilot isn't on when you take off and land because there's a lot of judgment involved, which is the human is much better at the machine. Uh, but I think in the aviation industry, they've they've implemented automation um, smartly and they didn't just push it out quickly and it was done well. And I, I think that, you know, that the autom automobile industry probably could have, could have learned from that from the beginning. Yeah. Oh, sorry. So yeah, I was just reiterating on that point. One more important thing that comes over there is the level of training that is given to pilots. So even though they are going to be working with this highly smart autonomous agent but they need to have a certain level of training to interact with these particular systems but when we compare that to the automotive industry uh, is it the same training that we give the drivers before they go ahead and use these self-driving cars uh, do we need to have certain kind of training associated with it to help them uh, you know adapt with these self-driving cars as well that's an important issue yeah and that's that's a hard one right because once you get your license see ya 
everyone's an expert now, but you know, there, there could be some regulations or stipulations on, you know, when you go to the car dealership for these, these types of cars that you have to pass a course before you're allowed to buy it. Just, you know, like, like anything that's special use, you have to have a license for. So, you know, maybe it's a different driving license that you, you have to get now and you have to go back, back through it, you know, my, my father used to be a bus driver um, as well. And so he would have to go get a special license to be able to operate a bus uh, to prove that he was qualified and, and had the skills to do so. So, you know, I think there's there's all sorts of solutions, but it goes back to, to I think what John was hitting on is, you know, maybe autonomous vehicles isn't what we think about, you know, traditionally as all or, all or nothing capability you know, maybe it, maybe it is a little bit of both because again, the human, the human at this point is still far superior to some aspects of technology just because of our ability to adapt on the fly and take in new information and make, make a judgment call and ethics and morals play into that. Right. Too. So, you know, AI is just not there yet. And I think I'd be scared when it, when it does get to that point (laughs) for other reasons, but you know, that's a conversation for another podcast, but you know, um, just, just thinking about, you know, implementation wise, why, why did we think we needed self-driving cars? Well, I think the most obvious answer is to reduce traffic accidents. You know, everybody drives. So the number of accidents and risk is high, you know, based off of the numbers, you know, flying is a little different because it's, it's one airplane carrying hundreds of people. And so the number distribution is a little bit different, you know, but you're, you're able to fly a lot more people than you, you know, again, I don't know how all the data works out, but you got to think about that. It's a little bit of a different paradigm. Um, okay. So we implement autonomous vehicles to solve accident rates, but you know, do, what is the other potential benefit? And I think what people are perceiving as the benefit isn't necessarily a reduction in accidents, accident rate. It's more selfish in nature. How do I save myself time and be able to multitask and do more things with the little time I have? Because I think that's really the cultural problem underlying people's desire to have self-driving cars is that, you know, I, I could, I have an hour commute each way to my job. I don't, you know, I lose that hour sitting there trying to drive. Like, how can I, how can I maximize that time? Well, self-driving cars is a great, great idea for that. So again, it's understanding the people and the why because I think what we interpret as the why isn't necessarily the real why of where people place the importance, you know, and again, safety should be important, but people don't always think that way. Yeah. I think this has been, um, I mean, does anybody have any other thoughts on that? Safety is definitely uh, important. Maybe, yeah, like it's not something that's always in the forefront, but sometimes like in after <laughs> sadly, or it's seen as more like a check in the box kind of thing. So I want to go back to the the training point that Sarvesh brought up because I think that was a really good one. Um, and so, you know, if it's if it's fully autonomous, that's one thing. But I think we're going to have these hybrid systems for a while where you're going to need the human to take control, right? And so, what does that look like from a training perspective? And so, you look at aerospace, and as you mentioned, you have a lot of dedicated training for the pilot, and it's also very specific to what type of airplane they're flying. Like corporate pilots can't fly everything that's out there. They're only certified for what they're certified for, right? And so they have a ton of training on that, like that specific aircraft. And so you look at the automobile industry, and so you've got several different players 
And some of the systems are the same, but most of them are different. And so what does that look like? And so, you know, how much training are you going to need on that specific system? And then what are the risks when you go rent a car and it's a completely different system, right? Because right now I don't think there's much, if any, regulation on, on how these systems need to be similar. And so that's another, another safety, uh, potential safety issue there. Yeah, that's an incredibly good point because I forget which airline it was. Maybe it was AirTran, maybe it was Southwest at one time, but I thought Southwest might have a different fleet, but maybe that's not true. I can't remember. But one of them, you know, purposely only buys one style of aircraft to minimize. Yeah, Southwest. Okay. Southwest to minimize, you know, all of the costs of maintenance and operations and improve like safety metrics because you, you now have higher likelihood of being expert on that machine and no permutation. So they're trying to buy down their risk, you know, that way. Their standardization. Which I think is smart. Yeah, I think the only bad thing is uh, I've flown Southwest a couple times. I just think I think they don't have TVs. That's the only kind of bad thing. <laughs> the snacks are nice, but yeah. did you get there safely though, Raquel? <laughs> yes, and I will say when I went to Hawaii, um, it was one of the Max Eights, um, oh, so wow. I was kind of sketchy, and I did take a picture just to kind of if something happened, I was like, "This is the plane I was flying on, guys." <laughs> but but I did make it safely and back. Again, the you bring up the Max Eights, right? The Max Eights, you know, not not autonomous car, you know, but it was a, a change in software that heavily influenced, you know, unsafe outcomes. And again, it, it all boiled back to human centered design and training, like we've been discussing. So it's not unique to the automobile industry. It's just that I think automobiles are near and dear to our um, definition of being independent. And so I think it's, it's really a, a core topic, I think for, for just being human. And like I said, when I get old, the, the thing that scares me the most is not being able to manage my own life and having to listen to somebody else tell me what to do after like <laughs> living independently for so long. I don't want that. So technology, please, please make it so I don't have to. Uh, but again, you you have to understand everybody's why they would want it and who your market is and how to design to fit that scenario. And, and just to add on to that, um, I, I think the other incentive to push this comes from the, the people that stand to make a buck, right? And so it's estimated that it's going to be a you know, 50 billion plus industry. And so that motivates people to go out there, get it done, be the winner, because uh, you're going to do well, you're going to make a lot of money. But is that number, <laughs> is that number accurate, right? Because that assumes that you're self-driving in all situations. And maybe that was a miscalculation from, from the beginning. Maybe this industry doesn't end up you know, being that lucrative in the end. Well, and, you know, this is another um, fallacy, you know, folks think that because they do their marketing research that they've identified, you know, their target market, but what they've actually identified is the potential for it. What gets you to your target market is, again, user-centered design, knowing what the users are actually in need of and the problem you're solving will tell you what what the widget actually needs to be to capture this market space. And this is where, again, most companies get it wrong because they rely almost solely on their their business and marketing department to to drive like a business and technical development or R&D decision. And this is another way you can get the bang out of your buck out of your human factors, folks, using them to confirm that data and making sure you actually know who your target is. 
Um, it's why most businesses fail. It's why most products don't don't make it is for this reason. And it's really simple, but yet it seems to be the biggest, you know, kept secret. Yeah, I think we've hit a lot of um, interesting points. I'd be fair to say um, we want to wrap up today's episode unless anybody has any um, finishing or last thoughts. Like I said, I hope I hope someone from the automobile industry is listening. And if you don't have human factors, folks, you know, we'd love to help or just get some on your team, because I think this is a, a technology that's needed. But I don't think it's being deployed and implemented correctly to support what the actual human need is and, and how we need to come along with the technology. Yeah, it's definitely an area that has a lot of potential and it's still early on enough to where we can identify these problems and improve it without, you know, breaking any reputations and still having trust in the drivers and people. So thank you everyone today for participating. This has been episode eight of the Human Odyssey, a human-centered podcast. Our podcast is available online at sofixsynergistics.com slash podcast and is available to stream on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play Podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our social media platforms for more human-centered content. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you liked the episode, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more content. The Human Odyssey is presented by Sophic Synergistics, the experts in human-centered design. Find out more at sophicsynergistics.com. Get smart. Get Sophic smart. Get Sophic smart.